是台湾人，台湾人，台湾人。Welcome to Taiwan Ren, your global community of Taiwanese makers, innovators, and advocates. I'm your co-host Cindy, and I'm your other co-host Esther. Today, we are interviewing a full family on their business, Mama Lianes in Lianes Village. Erica, Jessica, and Austin will share how they work together to run their Taiwanese restaurant, frozen food business, and spill some family secrets along the way. Let's meet the Lianes. Hi, Liang family. Tell us who you are and your connection to Taiwan. Hey there, I'm Erica. I am the youngest of the three siblings, and yes, we are the Liang family, as Denise mentioned. We run a Taiwanese restaurant in Cupertino, California, and also a Taiwanese packaged food line that ships nationwide. Our grandparents and parents are actually immigrants from Taiwan. We were born in the states, but we frequently visited Taiwan. I would say that's our connection to Taiwan. And culturally, we are a bit of a mix. We actually lived in Thailand for half of our lives, but we were a part of like many large Taiwanese communities. There are a lot of Taiwanese expats, so yeah, we spent a lot of time with Taiwanese people. Before we moved, our grandparents and parents actually ran a restaurant in San Gabriel Valley area. It's pretty well known oh, wow. for Taiwanese food, actually. And our grandmother started in 1981. And she actually started off with an American diner selling burgers, pancakes, bacon,、oh. and she also sold Taiwanese delicacies like the luwei, neoromian, beef noodle soup. What else did she have? She also had、um, Taiwanese biandang, which is like Taiwanese pork chop rice. And, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she had、oh. that while she was selling burgers and pancakes, which is pretty interesting. We moved to Thailand, just our parents, but our grandmother still continued to grow her business. In California, our business is actually named after her, the Frozen Line, which is Mama Liang's. Would you say was there any culture shock going in from U.S. to Thailand, and then reverse culture shock coming back? Yes, I would say. You know, we spent a lot of summers in the states visiting our grandma, but it wasn't like moving here. It was, that was quite a bit of a culture shock. We took turns moving, so Jessica and I came first, and Austin, and we were just talking about this how. When I had moved here, you know, we spoke English fluently. It's it's one of our first languages, but we still got teased a bit because、Aww. of how we pronounce things. You know, we speak with a bit of an accent as well, and some words we just pronounce a little differently. So I feel like in that sense, it was a little different. And also, like bringing certain lunches to school, I would get made fun of sometimes. I mean, I didn't take it personally, but that had happened. I used to hide my dumplings. And not eat them. <laughs> so I feel you. Yeah, and the chives are like the best part, but they don't smell they great. <laughs> yeah, Erica, you mentioned that your grandmother started the business all the way back in '81, right? But now all three siblings are working at Mama Liang, so on the brand. Love to hear more about that story and just understanding from your perspective why is working with family important to your business model. Well, we're very a very close knit family. It's important to us because I think ultimately, at the end of the day, we know we have each other's backs. It's tough to work with family for sure. There's so many disagreements. You know, we all have our opinions, and the way we work is different. But ultimately, we share the same goal. Okay, just a hot tip for any of us: Have you figured out a way to deal with family arguments? I would say. 
family therapy. <laughs> that actually helps a lot. Uh, we're working on it. We don't know yeah. yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But you have that bond, right? So that's very, very special. We share the same history. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of relatability. So we get each other as well. At the same time, mm-hmm. we don't get each other. <laughs> no, but I think with family, like it's, you can get angry, but you can forgive each other really quickly. That's the thing that comes with family. And that's why it helps it work too. I'm Austin, by the way. <laughs> I'm the oldest of the three. I was going to add, like, I think our family in general always been working with each other since like grandma, grandpa, my aunties. It's always been a family business growing up for them. And then the same thing with us passed down to us. Even my aunties' kids, like my cousins in Asia, they work as a family as well. So it's always, I think majority of our, at least the Liang side of the family is all family business. Yeah, strong cultural values there. Yeah. Your family started off as a family restaurant and You've since ventured into meal kits and frozen food. I want to ask Jessica, could you share why you guys decided to move over to meal kits and frozen food kind of field? Okay, just to introduce myself, I'm Jessica, the middle child. We started Mama Liang's and got into frozen foods in about 2017. Prior to that, I lived in Chicago for a little bit and New York for a little bit. And I noticed there was just a lack of Taiwanese restaurants. You know, there are Taiwanese restaurants here and there, but it's just, there's just not a lot compared to SoCal, NorCal, or even some mm-hmm. parts of Seattle. So we got into frozen foods because we wanted to make frozen foods more accessible to everyone in the U.S. nationwide. The funny thing about this is many years before that, when we were in college, when we had to go away from home, we miss home food. A lot of our classmates miss home food, but we also miss our restaurant food too. So... <laughs> When our parents came to visit, when other family members come to visit, they would bring food from home and food from our store, and we would keep them in our freezers so we can enjoy them whenever throughout the year. There were even times where we would host like dorm parties or apartment parties with our restaurant food and share them with our friends. But basically, you know, it's kind of interesting that this concept that we did in college, which a lot of students did as well, actually became a business for us much later on. So I think that's super cool that you guys were inspired to do this, not just because I thought you were going to say, oh, the pandemic and people are apart, but it was something that has been an issue for a long time, just accessibility of Taiwanese food. I was wondering, what was the biggest, most difficult challenge starting this meal kit frozen food line? Well, there's a lot of challenges with starting a business, but I think in this day and age, a lot of us have been spoiled by companies like Amazon, at least in the Mm -hmm. last 10, 15 years. And people don't like to pay for shipping. But what people don't realize is that shipping frozen food is actually very, very costly. You know, it's time sensitive, temperature sensitive. So you have to ship within a certain time frame. You have to include insulation packs to keep your food code, ice packs, and sometimes dry ice. As a normal person, if you want to ship anything frozen, it's, it's just super expensive. In addition to this, we are environmentally conscious as a family ourselves. So wastage is also very high in general in the food industry. So that part is also a challenge. So trying to balance all of these costs, trying to be more environmentally friendly, trying to reduce the amount of packaging that we use while trying to bring value and please our customers is definitely very difficult. Yeah, I'm I'm sure entrepreneurs listening to this will relate, especially since everything is getting more expensive. Cindy and I were looking through what Amaliang has to offer. And we saw that there was a lot of beloved Taiwanese items on your guys' menu, like 
pig ears and beef tongue, pig feet, duck wings. We love this stuff. But <laughs> how has the general response been to these products? I know they're a little more foreign, quote okay. unquote, foreign for the American palate. And what inspired you guys to feature them? I think we're very lucky because we actually have restaurant experience and we've had a restaurant for over 10 years right now in Cupertino that we're managing. We can always go back in our data and we can pull up what we know our customers like. And Luwe is one of our most popular mm. items. And actually, when we first started Mama Liang's, we only had four noodle products at the time. It wasn't until Shelter in Place hit mm. and we noticed people stocking up frozen items that we were like, oh no, we have to increase our product offering because people are storing food and they want some variety. We already know that customers like our little way. I also think because the fact that we're foodies, we love sharing food, our restaurant food especially. We like sharing food the way we like it, you know, to our palates. We always had a mala luwe's at the store, but this time we were like, hey, we need to package our mala sauce. It's just so good with our luwe's. And that's how we want our customers to experience our luwe's as well. And I wanted to add on, yeah, like when Jessica was talking about during our college days, we had people begging us to bring more and more. And, and you know, some of them just steal some of our stuff away, right? And then with the college, you know, we, it's such a diverse culture. We have friends from all, all over the world. Then we noticed that's also the same time we noticed people enjoying these kind of dishes like beef tongue. And I thought it was just a Korean thing back in the day where like certain mm. cultures, but oh man, people loved it. Same thing with pig ears, right? And then with Je- like Jessica said, with the data we have from the restaurant, we noticed that, hey, there's really no restriction on what kind of culture people would like these dishes. You know, and then we do a lot of events like night markets, like 626, Foodie Land. And, you know, we sell products that we wanted to test to see what would do well. And then, oh, it's always something exotic or interesting, you know. Certain, like Kuzu Lue, the popular ones in Taiwan is like duck wings, duck neck, or like duck tongue. No one really, you know, we never knew how it would do here, but we've tested it before. No, you know, but, you know, people really enjoyed it and we just kind of went with it. Um, <laughs> incredible. Jessica, we noticed it on your guys' website. You mentioned something about a Taiwanese food revolution. What do you guys mean by that? So when Erica and I first moved back to the U.S., we were actually quite surprised that, you know, people didn't know the difference between Thailand and Taiwan. And it was really surprising, but we were also, you know, from that area, you know, we grew up in that area, so we were just shocked, like, how can you guys not know Right. Another thing we notice is people don't know the difference between Chinese food or Taiwanese food. And it's just mm. constantly being mixed up. And fast forward to today, Taiwanese food is getting recognized. And it itself is its own cuisine, which is not something that we've seen previously, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It is definitely a very exciting time for Taiwanese food overall or and Taiwanese culture. We're getting a lot of spotlight now. I wanted to say that there's also a lot of businesses that are doing a very good job representing our culture as well. You know, they're pushing the boundaries of what is the norm. You know, we love following their stories and their news on like how they're also repping our culture. Companies like Yunhai and Asa, like we, we just love their stories. I know you've mentioned that you're foodies and these other brands, food brands, I inspire you, but I really see you as the cultural ambassadors because for a lot of people, food is that first taste of that culture. And then they get more curious. And well, we don't have K-pop, but we have other things in Taiwan that will draw them in. And then eventually you're taking your first trip to Taiwan to get more, to experience more. So I really think, you know, what you're doing, your mission is very important for that beyond food. Yeah, I was going to say we got Jay Chow. 
That's a big one. Yes, we have Jake Howe. That's great. <laughs> all right. So all of this talk about food. I think Esther and I are getting hungry. <laughs> it's time for the food segment. Yes. Let's try some food. Well, since I already secretly ate some before the call, <laughs> I can get started. Okay. So one of the dishes I have here is the Ru Wei the pig ears. So yeah, I secretly ate some because it smelled too good and I couldn't resist. <laughs> and I think what I love, and I don't know actually, Jessica, if this is a mala packaging. There is a spicy thing in there. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Okay. Good to know. All right. So I love that you packaged it like separately, both because I came from a bland family. <laughs> so I'm going to need to dip it a little bit and pray. Erica, Jessica, or Austin, like how would you describe to our listeners your pig ears dish? Like what should Cindy notice? What's the taste? So the with pig ears, it's, it's usually, you know, it seems pretty easy. It's like you just, you know, people would just assume you just cook it, you just chop and that's it. But the way we've done it, once we cook it, we have to, um, we will stack them up. And then we have to freeze them so that it becomes like a very big cube. And then instead of using hand cuts, we would shave it. So I, we call it shaved pig ears because it's so wow. thin, right? And then because yeah. a lot of people really enjoy the cartilage. But the thing is, for us, mm-hmm. it's more like you want to, every bite you take, you want to enjoy, not just because pig ears are very fatty. We don't want just to have all the collagen all at once. Rather, you can chew it and enjoy the texture by each bite. Uh, another important part that we don't really talk about and... I don't think it's even something that's talked about a lot in the food industry is the fact that our mother pot for our Lu Wei, it's actually over 10 years old. Uh, you know? it's, like 20 years. It's, it's from grandma's actually. Yeah. Wow. So it's been, it's been, oh, it's been <laughs> so the, like the 80s. <laughs> half wait, down, wait. half down. How does that work? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm like, what's going on? Is this like the ramen pot? Like, do you Yeah, it's like the ramen the wash. pot. You don't wash it? It just keeps, or you don't stop cooking. Is that we don't stop cooking? We do. We have to. We do switch over to pots, like you know, we have to clean the pots and everything like that. But we we store them, right? We would freeze some and then put them back into the batch, and then freeze some later on, uh, put it back in the batch, just to continue having that flavor. Yeah, it's yeah. very hard to replicate that stewed meat flavor. So we we just you know, like Jessica was saying, it's actually yeah, like it's like I would say twenty years, but you know, technically maybe like 30, 40 years is very possible because grandma. Love saving, <laughs> saving stuff. And it was passed down to us. Yeah, <laughs> this is like your legacy, the way. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's all very well seasoned too. Every single bite is like uniformly seasoned. And Austin, like what you were saying, I like that it's not too crunchy. It's both soft and crunchy. Usually, like a lot of places, it's like they just you know they stew it. Like I've seen like in like yes in Taiwan they. You know, they'll heat it up in the stewed meat at the stewed sauce and they just chop, chop, chop. There's no way they could shave it, right? They just, they use the knife skills, right? Grandma did it mainly. She would used to shave it at home. At home, she would like, you know, make food for us. She would have like a big <laughs> meat slicer. Like, why do you have a meat slicer? I just, you know, for certain items of the family. And then she would just start making it. Like, oh, okay. Whenever we visited back when we were younger. I want to see your grandma's kitchen. All right, I'm going to try this mala and I hope I'll still taste things after. It smells really good. It's like, and a little thing is that grandma eats very spicy. So we all mm. eat very spicy and very heavy in flavor. We don't hesitate in letting customers know in that sense. Like, yeah, our food is very flavorful. <laughs> customers come in, 
we're like, it's not going to be as bland as you think. Or it's like, you know, it's we're, we're very heavy flavored. We don't shy away. Because, you know, that's what my grandma learned back in her village, you know, when she was growing up, when she immigrated to Taiwan, right? So that's passed down to the family. We do make improvements, but we don't tweak it drastically. Yeah, too. it's own cool way. I love yeah. that. It's great. Yeah. I definitely got the ma and the la. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for someone that eats more like light, that might be strong for you, but hopefully it's good. It's actually very good with rice, like that and a, mm. and a poached egg, you know, how egg yolks dripping on it with your mala sauce mm. and the way is so good. Mm, yeah. That's a quick fix. I love that. Esther, do you want to try an item? Yeah, let me try. So I have this sesame noodle, the zima, yang zima mian. And so it's a little bit, let me just stir it up again. No big deal. It smells great. And that's the liang mian, right? Yeah, it's the liang mian. Summer noodles. A little background with that. Let me actually explain a little bit about what Duen Chun is, where my family started from, and how this recipe came about. Was that grandma and grandpa moved to southern part of Taiwan in Pingdong, and they lived in an air force village in Duen Chun in Pingdong. It's a village, and then it's on, it's at the road called Sun Li Lu, so Victory Road. And there's a village for air force families to live in. A lot of our recipes that grandma learned was in this Duen Chun village. It's a melting pot of different Chinese people from the air force. So grandma would pick up all these recipes from different people, like people from Shanghai, people from Guangzhou, people from Beijing, and she just creates her own dish. So how this cold noodle came about was her neighbor was making like just zima mian, right? And it was just very, like, Taiwan's so hot in Pingdong. I think she just picked up, because like, you know some people in the north, they eat a lot of cold noodles, actually, towards the Korean side, border side, right? There's a lot of, you know, they eat a lot of cold noodles there. Yeah. So grandma picked up you know, her own version of cold noodles with that sauce and kind of created herself in the village, right? And then the neighbor actually has a restaurant there still. Like, I think it's been around for 60 years. I visited recently. It tastes just like grandma's. It's like very, very like similar. Uh-huh. And then, so we noticed that when dad started this, selling this product and promoted a lot, marketed highly in LA, a lot of people came, oh, I haven't had this in like 40 years, 30 years. I had this growing up. Oh, where are you from? Oh, we're from the South, from Pingdong. Like, oh, and then we realized they know our grandparents or they know wow. my dad from like, you know, because they're all in the same community. This cold noodle, this recipe is probably within like 60 years of family tradition with the sauce, especially. It's incredible. I love how nutty and floral, floral in a way, like it's not floral, floral, but it just really fills your mouth. And I am also really curious about your noodles. Like they're so chewy. Do you guys make these in house or you work with someone else who also? We work with someone else. Back then, the traditional way is using gan mian, right? Like those dry noodles. We've done that for many years prior too. And then the last few years, I think we just, we wanted to look into, Jessica and Erica talked to me, but hey, we want to do this as a frozen item. I was able to find a supplier that made the noodles to the spec that we like. So I actually found a Japanese ramen making company to specifically make this for us because Japanese ramen has its own benefits and they have a lot of different things that we can use for our cuisine. So we were able to work with them and then, you know, use it to our liking, basically. So it definitely took some time for us. I'd say like to come up with the proper replacement for gan mian. Like it took us, I think we were testing for about half a year. We were all sick of eating liang mian for a period. Of- I'm like, wow, you guys, persistence. Austin, your story with your grandmother and her friend having that restaurant and running into people who've had the same food. I just feel like there's a conspiracy theory where I know Taiwan has millions of people, but why do I always feel like Taiwan only has like a thousand people? (laughs) (laughs) Regarding Zhuan Chun in general, right? It's kind of like these military bases in Taiwan, these pockets of people are all over 
the country. Usually, if you go to a restaurant in Taiwan, it's like they specialize in Nyeromian. That's the Taiwanese style Nyeromian, right? Like Yongkang Jie or like Ningdongfang. Those are all like, you know, they're very, like, they have their own traditional way of making things. But you also have places that only make Songyu Chao, so like big wontons, right? Spicy wontons and stuff like that, or Pai Gu Fan Bian Dang. But Wujun Tun is basically like a melting pot of like Chinese, Taiwanese food that not many people would open that kind of business anymore. Like, it's very hard to find. I think when I was in Taipei, I only found one or two that had these products. Like, I walk in, oh, they sell like Shanghainese dishes, but with Nyeromian. And then they sell like certain things that's like, you know, very traditional Taiwanese dishes, like Pai Gu Fan. But why would they sell like something from Sichuan, right? So you don't really find that in a lot of places in Taiwan, right? And the Jun Chun food, it's, it's a melting pot of culture inside that business. When we had our stores in LA, I think someone will walk in, bring their grandparents, you know, they're a little older, so they can't, you know, they don't notice as much, but then they'll see a picture of grandpa and be like, oh, that's my teacher. I'm like, what? What do you mean he's your teacher? Because grandpa was in the Air Force and he was a Air Force instructor. Wow. Right? And then people will be like, oh, this gentleman is my dad's uh, old teacher or like old like flying classmate. We're like, oh, let me you know, connect you with that. Oh, and then they start speaking. Oh, can I actually get grandma's number? And then they'll connect his grandparents or his parents to my grandma. And they'll be like, oh, they, they lived in the same village or something. Like, oh, that's crazy. It's such a small community at that point. Yeah. Accidental alum association. <laughs> no, I mean, we get that a lot at the restaurant. We actually, I think that's why we actually have a lot of photos, like family photos on our walls. Oh, brilliant. So we, by accident, see customer, like a customer sees and recognizes. It brings nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's why we actually change. I mean, Austin will go into this further, but our restaurant is called a village for that reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. But continuing on with beef noodles for now, Jessica, do you want to tell us more about this beef noodle pack and how you made this possible? Because I love the mustard greens. Like I would buy, don't start a new product line for me, but I would <laughs> buy a jar. <laughs> we actually love, really, really like our sour cabbage. It's something that people don't realize like is such an important ingredient for beef noodle. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we package our beef noodle, we were like, we have to include this in. Like it's just not right to have yeah. beef noodle without it. But we do like our flavor of our sour cabbage. We wish we can put more in. We haven't figured out a way yet. Cindy, I love that it's like the size of the palm yeah. of your hand. And for me, whenever I go to the store to buy it, unfortunately, like I only buy pickled mustard greens to make neuromia. But when I buy the mustard greens from the store, I like have too much. And so this is like the perfect amount. Very, very, like you guys were saying, eco-friendly, like no food waste. I love it. Okay, Esther, I'm going to show you this beef chunk. Yeah, d- describe it to our listeners. It's big. <laughs> it's no Campbell, like no Campbell soups. It's like a real chunk of beef. And I'm really excited to eat it. And how do you guys prepare the beef for this meal kit package? We have to pick a specific type of beef shank that we use, not too fatty and not too much tendon. So we actually do sell beef only noodle soup, Neuromian only, or beef and tendon noodle soup, which is beef and tendon. So we do separate the two kinds of meat. So our beef noodle soup is a tad on the sweeter side for some people, but we let people know. And also a lot of people, certain beef noodle soup, they go heavily on tomatoes for like, which I find shiwei that is stronger, like tomato base. But we don't put too much of that, but we like to focus more on the beefy flavor. That's why we use a lot of beef stock that we would cook with the beef. And then we usually, once we finish cooking it, we have to have it at least deep for like at least 12 to 18 hours, depending on the season, just to keep it tender and then like, you know, soft. Yeah, and that's how the flavor comes out. Yeah, I saw in the package it said like something like stewed for 40 hours. And it's very tender. Yeah, it takes about 40 hours for us to make 
basically just a just the soup base and the meat. Yeah. And because the, the beef stock with like the beef bone, I would say we change it out and everything, and it has to cook like till like to its full potential, probably like within like, at least a day or two, sometimes a day and a half. What we enjoy about this is the fact that you know, although this dish takes forty hours for us to put together, you can take our frozen noodles and make it within ten minutes at home. I cheated. <laughs> so while I was boiling the noodles, I microwaved the soup. Mm. So it was super speedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have. This is the OG Lu Wei, right? Like this is that's, a, that's in the beef shank. Yes, this that's is the, the classic yeah. one. Remember Lu Niu Jian. Wow. Okay. I follow the instructions and said to mix the sauce right in. So, oh, so you eat heavy flavor yeah, and spicy, and then Cindy yeah. is the lightweight <laughs> in the group. Okay. I'm just boring and basic. <laughs> this is so good. The meat's so tender. It's like I feel like for our listeners who aren't familiar with Taiwanese food, it's like brisket almost, very soft, tender, thin, um, easy to chew, and like there's just pockets of that cartilage or fat. In there that adds a little flair of texture. I love it, and it's balanced perfectly. Do you guys want to like? I know you've already told us the history of the Lu Wei, but is there anything else you want to talk about this beef shank? Yeah, we actually go through so much of the three beef shank or Lu Niu Jin because we use it for our beef pancake wrap for our neural dripping, and then we use it for so many items in our dishes that we go through like I'd say like about five hundred, almost close to five hundred pounds oh per God. week. Wow. Oh. Let's talk a little bit more about the family restaurant Ling's Village. Do you guys know a reason for why your family chose the restaurant business in the first place, or what prompted your family to start in the restaurant industry? I would say, like Erica mentioned, like Grandma opened a diner, sold a lot of like you know different things, and noticed that certain things did well. It's the same idea, right? Like our grandparents grew up in the community, the Air Force Village mm-hmm. in Pingdong. It's basically a community of like people from all different culture, and then they all love sharing. They all love gathering. So, Grandma, the reason why she picked up all the recipes was like, "Hey, hey, let's play mahjong today. We can all hang out together and play mahjong. I'll cook for you guys." So, when Grandma came to like Erica was saying when she came to LA, she noticed there was not that many Taiwanese restaurants at the time. She wanted to, you know, bring everyone together. So she decided to open Mama's Kitchen at the time. It's called Liang, uh, Mama Jia or Mama's Kitchen. Obviously, to make some money, <laughs> right? but yeah, but the main thing was for her to. She really enjoyed bringing everyone together and uh, you know cooking for everyone. That's just how she always always has been. And then I think that just kind of carried on. You know, dad came back, grandma got older, she wanted to retire, so dad decided to take over the business and rebrand the business. Naturally, we noticed also the three of us, me and my sister, we love hosting. We love having friends come over. We love cooking for our friends. We're born into it, and we just got so used to it. And that's how the business started. We just continued the business. And then dad basically retired. And now it's like, you know, what can we do to continue the family legacy, to educate people more on Taiwanese food? That's the goal that we have now. I think that's the goal that our grandparents had and our dad has. And then we're just continuing that. I feel like ultimately food is our life. And that's everyone in our family. You know, we love food so much. I feel like if any of us were to lose our taste buds, our quality of life would completely shut down. And that's our family. And your community people at heart. For people, for AAPIs, who are just visible minorities in general, we're thinking about entering the food business in the U.S. Do you guys have any tips for them being in this scene for 20 plus years? I would say, number one, it's not easy. Having a good recipe doesn't translate to a successful business. Besides cooking well, you need to put a lot of effort into like marketing, branding, 
you know, creating a system for your business. You have to put a lot of heart and passion into it, which is what we do. That's why it's still ongoing. And you're also having a very strong supporting group. Like, like Erica we and Jessica said, it's not easy to work with family, but we have a very strong supporting core. Always make sure to have that kind of support. One very important thing I would say, never take shortcuts in business. You know, do the right things, pay your taxes, do all the things correctly. Do not take any shortcuts in general, right? That's, that's definitely like a must. Willing to adapt is very important. We adapted during COVID very well, very fast. Not to be a negative Nancy or anything like that, but always having potential issues that can come up and how like how do you tackle that issue, right? Always have a backup plan. That's very important in what I believe for a successful business or entering a food business. Profits are very narrow. <laughs> That's why you know there's not much margins in restaurants. Let's put it that way. It's a lot of hard work, but then you have to be passionate. If you're not passionate, you can tell businesses that are not passionate about their business. You know that's why a lot of businesses aren't successful. There are a lot of things that's just not done right, and then just close down. I would say having the three of us is a big one. We bring in different perspectives mm-hmm. and solving problems because we have three different people. You know, finding solutions. For example, COVID. I feel like if it wasn't the three of us working together, we would not have been able to have a successful restaurant and kept our restaurant open. So many restaurants closed down and we yeah. literally did not close one day during COVID. We just pivoted and, but it, it took a lot of, uh, Jessica was making deliveries, you know, from oh. like South Bay all the way to NorCal or Walnut Creek. We just put in 150% or more. I think going back to like why working with family and that's exactly why, because no one else would put that much heart into it. Mm-hmm. I agree. How has working in your businesses shaped your relationship with Taiwan? So as Austin and Jessica have mentioned, you know, being outside of California and living outside of Thailand, Thailand had a lot of Taiwanese communities. But once we started working and when we went to college, that's when we saw that Taiwanese anything is pretty underrepresented. And then when we went back to work for our family, it, it was pretty clear that this was the right direction because we were... Like Sydney used the word ambassadors, you know, we're able to share about Taiwan nationally now. It was just, you know, when we had the restaurant, it's just the one location. But with our frozen line, we're able to spread our wings a bit further. And the goal could be internationally someday as well. But for now, we're just focusing nationally and just wanting to educate people with what we have. So Erica, where can we find Mama Leon's products? So you can find Mama Liang's products on our e-commerce website at mamaliang.com. We are also available on Uber Eats shipping. And for brick and mortars, we are available at our restaurant at Liang's Village in Cupertino. And as well as the shelves at Yoon High, which is in Brooklyn, New York City. And a little small collection at the Heights Grocer in Houston. And for the restaurant, where can we find Liang's Village today if we wanted to dine in? and maybe in the future. Currently, right now, we have a store in Cupertino, very close to the Apple campus on De Anza and Stevens Creek. And we're opening up a shop in San Francisco, spring of 2023. Um, most <gasps> of our customers, they already know we're in San Francisco, but what they don't know is we're actually opening in Soma, San Francisco. So you heard it here first. We wish you could have enjoyed some beef noodle soup with us. But you can try these noodle soups for yourself at Liang's Village Restaurant next time you stop by Cupertino or San Francisco Soma District. Or if you want to support the Frozen Line, you can go to mamaliangs.com 
Purchase noodle kits and Lu Wei delivered right to your door. Taiwan, 加油 